Welcome to the weekend edition of the Daily Stoic. Each weekday, we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, something to help you live up to those four Stoic virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. And then here on the weekend, we take a deeper dive into those same topics. We interview Stoic philosophers. We explore at length how these Stoic ideas can be applied to our actual lives and the challenging issues of our time. Here on the weekend, when you have a little bit more space, when things have slowed down, be sure to take some time to think, to go for a walk, to sit with your journal, and most importantly, to prepare for what the week ahead may bring. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time, only save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. That's dell.com slash deals. Every business is constantly asking themselves, what's a thing I can do to take my business to the next level? It's something I'm thinking about, of course, over at Daily Stoic and Daily Dad and the Painted Porch. And one of the tools I use for just that is LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. You might have just listened to the episode I put up where I was given a talk at LinkedIn back in 2017. So I've been using LinkedIn a long time because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy. In fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We've hired multiple people here at Daily Stoic from LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com stoic. That's linkedin.com stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Ryan. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Stoic Podcast. One of the best experiences I've had in all of the cool stuff we've done with Daily Stoic over the years uh, has been over the last nine or so weeks, um, this leadership challenge that we did. We called it the Daily Stoic Leadership Challenge. You know, a lot of our challenges have been like 10 days or five days or 14 days or 21 days. But this was a nine-week challenge. Originally, I thought it was going to be six weeks. We ended up having so much good stuff, it became nine weeks. Basically, an email every day for nine weeks. Uh, the best Stoic thinking on how to be a leader, because although not all Stoics are leaders, all the major Stoics of history were leaders. Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, uh, Musonius Rufus, uh, Zeno. These were people who made things, who founded things, who led people, who made the hard decisions of leadership. And, and one of the coolest parts about the challenge is we did these deep dives, these hour conversations with me and real leaders in different industries or domains, uh, leaders in athletics, uh, leadership coaches, leaders in academia, and then, of course, leaders in the, the military world. And that's where today's conversation comes from. This is my conversation with Major General uh, with Major General Daniel Kane, who is the Director of Special Programs at the Pentagon 
in Washington, D.C. He was the first pilot in the sky on 9-11. He spent more than 28 hours in the cockpit of F-16s. He was the joint terminal attack controller in the special mission unit assigned to the U.S. Special Operations Command. He was also the deputy commanding general assigned to the Special Operations Joint Task Force in Iraq and Syria. He's a father. He's also had an interesting business career. He started and scaled several companies. And I actually got connected, introduced to him by uh, one of the directors of personnel in the Texas Rangers, the, the baseball team, who Dan has, who, who General Kane has been a longtime advisor and, uh, and friend of. General Kane is just a fascinating figure. We've gotten to know each other. He's given me all sorts of amazing advice over the years. And then it was interesting to see him and his mindset, even this. I said, hey, we're doing this little thing. I'd love to have you be a part of it. Would you, would you, could you spare an hour? He said, of course, I'd love helping leaders. Uh, I'd love to be a part of it. But he actually drove all the way out uh, to, from, from Dallas to spend time with me to prepare for the interview of all the leaders, the only one to do that, um, because he just was really committed to getting it right. Uh, He stopped by the the Painted Porch bookstore and picked up some books, which I also appreciated. But it's just been really interesting to see him do what he does, to to talk to him about the events of the world. Um, And he was just the perfect person as part of this program. Now, generally, this would just be for members, uh, for people who participated in the challenge when we did it live over the last nine weeks. But this interview was so good and so timely, I wanted to show it to you. And so, uh, first off, I hope you enjoy the conversation. We, we just reopened the course, so you get access to all my conversations, the Q&As I did, all of that, uh, and you can check that out at dailystoic.com slash leadership challenge. I think you'll really like it. Uh, we've had some awesome testimonials. Actually, you know what, here, I'll give you one of the testimonials right now. I really enjoyed this program. Uh, thank you for, I've done almost uh, almost all the daily stoic challenges since I started doing them like five years ago or so. Um, and I have to say that the, the cost of the program and the amount of value you brought in was quite amazing. So anyways, don't take my word for it. Listen to him, check out the daily stoic leadership challenge at dailystoic.com slash leadership challenge and enjoy this very timely and wonderful interview with the one and only major general, Daniel Kane. I think it will help make you a better leader. You can follow him at Dan, the one and only Major General Dan Kane. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Kane with an E on the end on Twitter or go to his website at dankane.net. Remember, that's D-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. Enjoy this conversation. A bunch of stuff about defining success, about communication, about uh, responsibility, preparedness, in the ineffectiveness of holding others to standards you don't hold yourself to and how to be a lifelong student of leadership. I think you're really going to like this interview, and I do think you'll like the Daily Stoic Leadership Challenge as well. I wanted to start with with 9-11, being this is the 20th anniversary. Um, you know, we've talked to a bunch of interesting leaders uh, in the course of uh, this course, Um and they've been through some crises and difficulties, um, but nothing quite like being one of the first planes in the sky on 9-11. So could you maybe walk us through that day and what that was like? 
Of, of course. Yeah. It's, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years, you know, last weekend. And, um, uh, it, it's just strange to look back on that on September 11th, 2001, I was actually stationed here in Washington, DC out at Andrews air force base. Um, I, uh, it was flying F-16s. I, I'd been to the air forces, um, top gun school where we don't play much volleyball. We mostly focus on, on getting better as tacticians with a, a little bit of jest towards my Navy brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, we had just gotten back as a squadron from out in Las Vegas, uh, at Nellis air force base where we were getting ready to deploy. And, you know, that Tuesday here in Washington was a beautiful and gorgeous day. And uh, I was not scheduled to fly that day. I was originally sort of running the flying operation for for the squadron as the chief instructor and tactician. And, um, you know, as we came in that morning, we obviously had had no idea what we were going to face. And we were in a meeting at the squadron, just a, a training meeting when one of our young intelligence professionals came in and said, an airplane has, has just hit the World Trade Center. And of course, my first thought was, it's a small civilian airplane, sure. this couldn't be. And, uh, you know, we all, as you get older, as leaders, you start to develop that spidey sense of just something's not right. And I, I felt that um, got up, walked into our our squadron lounge where we had a, a big flat screen TV, and uh, and remember, I still get chills uh, today. Even remember clearly the helicopter news shot showing the first tower burning when uh, when the second airplane flew into the picture and, and hit hit the building. Um, silence could have heard a pin drop and um, we sat there for what seemed like a long time, which was probably just a very few seconds. And uh, I, I went to the, to the desk where we had all of our communications gear and I picked up the phone and called the secret service and said, I don't know what's going on. What do you need us to do? We had a relationship with the secret service in Washington because we flew out of the same airfield as the president and uh, the next phone call was uh, the White House saying, get anything you can airborne. Um, the nation is under attack. Um, and right at that point in time, my boss, uh, Brigadier General Dave Worley, walked in and I handed him the phone. And I said, hey, sir, this is, this is for you. And we went and, and got ready to fly. And uh, it was myself and a, a wingman, and there were two other folks as well. And we uh, got our got our gear on and, and went running back to the ops desk and and uh, and met General Worley. General Worley read us the rules of engagement for defending the National Command Authority. Um, it was very liberal, and it was on us. And you know, when you think about leadership for the folks on the on the on the call and on the video here. Um, I will never forget what then General Worley said to us. He's just read us the rules of engagement, which are extremely liberal. The decision is clearly mine as the cap commander, the mission commander over the combat air patrol. And he reads us verbatim. 
And then he pauses and he looks at us and says, hey, Dan, look, I don't know what you're going to face out there. I think you're probably going to have to make some very difficult decisions, but here's what I want you to know. I trust you. You're going to do the right thing. And no matter what, I have your back. And you want to talk about saying the exact, exact right thing um, at the exact right moment. Uh, we ran to the jets and, and scrambled and, and, you know, we're flying that morning. Um, we took off, I think right around the same time that the real heroes or some of the real heroes of that day, the passengers of flight 93 were, were assaulting inside the airplane, knowing full well what they were facing, knowing what had happened in New York city and yet finding the courage um, to, to step up, um, not having taken the same oath that we take to uphold and defend the Constitution, but knowing that their nation needed them to do something. So flew that the rest of that day and a lot of intercepts and a lot of sort of keeping, keeping airplanes away from downtown Washington. And our squadron flew for the next 45 days after that, and I deployed pretty quickly overseas. To, uh, to start fighting Al-Qaeda. Well, to bring all that together, I, I think there's a couple interesting themes. So one, which is uh, open lines of communication. I think it's pretty incredible that you're just sort of very quickly on the phone with the White House. I was reading a, a book about uh, Admiral Rickover recently, and I didn't, I, they just sort of mentioned it offhandedly, but I guess for, maybe it's still the case, or but it was the case in the during the Cold War, that every uh, commander of a nuclear submarine could directly call the White House. Like there was just a phone they could pick up and the, it would ring at the president's desk. And, and so I think sometimes we think these, these organizations are huge and there's this massive chain of command. But at the top, it sounds like. Uh, well, we didn't call. They called us um, just to be clear. You know, I called the Secret Service. But that's then, what I mean. That, that's then, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is that at the at the end of the day, the really elite operators yeah. have to be completely flat. There has to be open lines of communication and flexibility there. And flatness is something from a leadership perspective that we value greatly. Certainly, I value greatly, and I drive the organizations that I'm blessed to lead or be a part of towards that flatness. I think as leaders, if we don't understand what is happening at the edge of the empires that we're blessed to, to lead, serve, and, and, and help with, then, then we can't possibly understand what's, what's really going on. And so flatness is a key to that. Yeah, because often, you know, uh, I think especially at the, the, the lower levels, you can be like, well, I, I pass this up the chain and something will happen. But I, I think it's interesting that yeah, you called the Secret Service. You didn't sort of wait around and say, let's see if somebody needs me. Let's wait to see where this goes. You yeah. sort of used the contacts you had on that day to sort of say, you know, what do you need from me? What can I contribute? What's going on? I think we've got a responsibility as leaders at whatever level you're leading at to be proactive and not reactive to realize when there's a, a, a white space and lead your organization or yourself towards that white space to improve the overall effectiveness, efficiency, combat, whatever kind of organization you're leading and, and move towards the problem. 
Well, and that goes to uh, the passengers on flight 93, which you you texted me a transcript of of that 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 sort of call uh, on 9/11 which I was it's it always sort of gives you the chills to read I think the idea that um yeah they weren't sort of technically leaders in any way it was you know a handful of people talking on uh pl- you know phones on airplanes which I think younger people don't even remember was a thing that you could swipe your card and get a handset out of the back of a of a seat um but but they they sort of anointed themselves leaders and it was I thought it was remarkable is that you have this 911 operator relaying information uh, from all over the world, it sort of that all these people involved, although they had no official authority or even official obligation to do anything, took it upon themselves to say, like, look, we might not be able to solve this thing, but we cannot contribute to the problem. We cannot make this tragic event more tragic. Uh, and we're going to try to do something. And I, you know, I just I think about him every day, right? And and when and that is real courage, knowing what is going on in the United States at that point in time, and having the intestinal fortitude, the bravery to stand up and go forward, knowing uh, it's just a, an incredible example. You know, America started to fight back immediately and they were the first steps the firefighters that, that headed up buildings were the first steps you know the people at the pentagon were the first steps and, and out of this tragedy of september 11th we can find incredible goodness on who we really are as a country and i hope we just always take advantage of those those examples uh, moving forward yeah, you know, it's it's almost easy to celebrate the firefighters and the police officers, but but there were also the office managers and the employees and the, the people who had, you know, they worked in this enormous office together, but had never met before. And, and again, had no real obligation to anyone but themselves and decided, hey, I'm not leaving anyone behind or, hey, I'm going to do what I can here. Um you know, uh, that that is also what leadership leadership isn't this thing you get promoted to necessarily. It's also what you do in moments of crisis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's uh, it's you know, we're it could have been a lot worse that day had they not had those people not evacuated the towers and, and those people stood in the, in the stairwells and helped other people get down there. Or people in the Pentagon it could have been a lot worse. Or that plane, you know, Flight 93 could have crashed into the White House or oh, the Capitol yeah. building. Uh-huh. Would have been much worse. Um, and, and then when I think about uh, leadership, uh, although thankfully you didn't have to, um, it strikes me that what your commander was talking about was the idea that within the latitude that you had been given, you would have you you potentially would have to make some very hard decisions in the moment, which is also you know something we've talked about. But sort of the definition of leadership to me is you know can you make hard decisions with limited yeah. information and limited yeah. time? Yeah, you know, and as as I reflected on that day, th- and look, we just did our jobs. We 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 just did our jobs, and thankfully, we didn't have to make the decision to shoot somebody down. Um, as I reflected back on that day and, and folks have asked me, you know, were you, 
scared or what or what was going through your mind and whatnot. I mean, of, of course, but overwhelmingly the thing that, and I'm grateful for this experience in some ways as a leader, um, my largest concern was not to miss somebody and not to, and, and not to be able to prevent or be unable to prevent an airplane going into the White House, going into the Capitol. And, and that drove everything. And as a, I didn't realize it at the time, I was younger and a captain, you know, young captain. Um, but as I've reflected on that over the years, I'm grateful for that and other situations like that, where I, I built some trust and confidence in my own instincts as a leader to be able to make um, difficult and complex decisions with limited information in short amounts of time. And, and that is something that, that I've, I've, I've learned to value greatly in my life. Yeah, and, and it strikes me as similar to the, the idea as we talk about sort of different organizations and how they're structured, it, that what the, your commanding officer did there was give a really clear um, sense of what sort of commander's intent was. Like he yeah. was like, this is what you're being tasked with. These are the legal uh, constraints that you have to operate on. Here's what I expect of you. And then he said, the rest is your call, right? He sort of trusted that your training, your judgment, your conscience, you know, your, your, your sense of duty would take care of the rest. Absolutely. And, and clarity of guidance, especially in today's day and age, and how you think, develop, and then articulate that guidance um, uh, is, is so important to organizations um, and so important to leaders to get it right and get it out there and stay consistent on what that guidance and intent looks like. Because in the end, what that drives towards is what is the culture that your organization is going to embrace and how are you going to move the organization from where it is now to where it, it probably needs to be. And General Worley, who tragically, in a horrible story after he retired, um, was volunteering with his wife at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and they passed away in, in a metro rail accident in Washington, D.C. Um, instantly killed the two of them together. And so I, wow. I, you know, I, I, I go didn't to, know this. Yeah, I, I went to see his, uh, his, his grave over the weekend and talked with his family. But, but getting that clarity, guidance, and intent right and then being consistent over and over and over again on what that culture has to be in order to achieve that end state is really important. And a lot of that comes down to sort of boiling it down to the ability in my mind to understand what is the situation, the context, the resources that you have, and then bringing those elements together into guidance and commander's intent. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. These tools would have been super helpful to me when I was growing The Daily Stoke, when I was writing my first book, and in fact, have been. 
right? The Daily Stoic is built around email marketing. That may well be how you heard of this very podcast. With constant contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast track growth. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Look, when I was first thinking of going to therapy, it was a little overwhelming, right? What's covered by insurance? How far do I have to drive? When do they have appointments? I mean, when I first started going to therapy, the idea of online therapy, virtual therapy, it wasn't even an option. And now things are so much easier, so much better. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, be a guiding light. And Talkspace, specifically today's sponsor, can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties. And with Talkspace, you can easily find a therapist that you like. You can schedule virtual appointments and make the most of your time, which even as you're taking care of yourself, you always should try to do. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get 80 bucks off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic. To match with a licensed therapist, go to Talkspace.com slash stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month. Show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic. So how can leaders get better at doing that? Because I I know like when I often look at mistakes that people who have worked for me or people I'm on a team with have made, it almost always comes down to us not being on the same page about what was expected. And it's usually my fault. Like usually I didn't explain what I want. By the way, I'm the same way. I'm always like, you can ask my teams. It's I'm constantly saying, man, I, I F that up. I could have been a better leader. Um, I gave, I gave crummy guidance. And I think, I think humility, authenticity, candor and realizing that we're all students at this, no matter whether you're uh, a business leader, an educational leader, or a, or a general or admiral in the military, you, you got to go to school on it. And I think back to your question, you know, I've spent a fair amount of time over the years thinking about how do I best understand the situation that I'm dealing with. And it started when I was a young fighter pilot before I became a special ops operations officer. And it was, how can I learn everything about the adversary or the situation that I'm dealing with? And that started this journey of insights for me. You know, I used to think about who am I fighting today? What kind of airplane are they in? What did they do yesterday at work? Did they go to sleep last night? What do I think they ate this morning? What's the weather like? Uh, what, how's their airplane configured? What, 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 how did I sleep? What's going on with me? How did I prepare? And just starting to think deliberately about asking really good questions to try to understand all the subtleties um, and the big levers, but also the subtleties of the situation that you're dealing with and trying to bring your organization into this conversation so that you can get an aligned stacking of hands on what the problem is. Defining the problem and understanding the problem together, I think is a a key to gaining that understanding and context of the situation you're dealing with. And, And you're right, man. I, I'm in the exact same place, man. I, I, I didn't give you good guidance. You did exactly my friend as I asked you to do. And I gave you shitty guidance. That's typically what I'm saying. I think defining the problem is very key. The other, the other way I think to look at it, then I'd be curious your thoughts 
I guess this is a tad more important in the civilian world, but it certainly would make sense in the, in the, the military world, which is, you know, defining success. Like, what does success look like? What are we, what is, what is this problem being solved look like? Because if we don't know what success looks like, how do we know how far to go? How do we know when we've arrived? How do we back out a solution if we haven't solved for what success is? And I think that to me is the most essential role of a leader, whether it's a sports coach, whether it's a board of directors, it's a CEO, or it's a, you know, a person who's hiring a freelancer to help them on something, which is where are we trying to get here, right? What does success look like? Because there's lots of different forms of success for every project or person. And if you don't define a really constrained, specific version of success, you might get a solution to the problem, just not the one you want. And and you're going to experience creep, you know. We're, we're both friends with the Texas Rangers, and, you know, I'm chuckling because I, I've asked our, our mutual friend, Chris Woodward, many times, what are we solving for? Yes. And, and, and what do you mean by that? You know, and, and I think as leaders, and especially for this great group of leaders who've taken the time to join this cohort to sort of think about leadership, it comes down to, to that clarity and asking real, real questions. And I find even for me, who, who I'm old and, and tired, but I, I still... I still find that that a decent amount of the time I'm not really asking the right question or we're not talking about the right thing. It's until you get to that root cause, that root area of specificity with, oh, by the way, even in business, because I spent several years as a business guy, even in business with enough specificity that then you can go measure it is what you need to measure in order to determine whether or not you're on trajectory or off trajectory to achieve that end state. And then having those routine stops along the way to make sure that you're you're pausing and assessing, are we, are we headed in the right direction or not? And that sometimes helps avoid creep as we as we move forward. Well, related to that, and not to get you in, in trouble, because I know you're wearing uniform, but it strikes me that the tragedy coming out of 9-11 uh, from the civilian side is that we don't give the military, who I, I think has done a pretty good job of the last 20 years, we don't give them great guidance and clarity on what success looks like. So we call it the war on terror. Well, what does that even mean? What is success? What is the, the actual outcome of Afghanistan or Iraq? Right. We could put all the politics aside, I think the the problem or the the inherent difficulty in both of these you know ventures which is a you know an ina- an inadequate word what, but it wasn't completely clear what we were doing what we were what success was supposed to look like how long it was supposed to take and is is that where the creep comes from and where the confusion comes from and and then the difficulty extra extricating comes from is that it just you can have the most talented people in the world, the most dedicated people, the most committed people, the 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 most uh, you know brilliantly equipped people in the world. But if it's not totally clear what they're doing and how they're supposed to succeed, they're probably not going to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and there there was some you know super talented folks who 
in the last 20 years have, have been, have been in the middle of exactly what you're talking about. You know, I'm a, I'm uh, and we've talked about this. I'm a, I'm a addicted reader. I'm, I'm, I'm your dream uh, customer. Cause I, you know, buy the hard copy, buy the audio and, and buy the Kindle book. And, and, uh, and I look forward to the next one, by the way. Um, uh, and I know I owe you some addresses. The, of course. I would I would encourage everybody on on the on the Zoom call to read the Afghanistan papers, which just came out ironically prior to uh, the president's decision to leave. And I think you'll find in there again, staying away from the politics of the decision, given that I'm I'm an active duty military officer. But I think you'll find in there. Um, some very uh, uh, important nuggets and lessons about uh, clarity of end states and and some interesting things to think about as we look at the way this amazing country of ours that is the is the best uh, worst system out there as as our founders said um, but it's difficult in in transitioning administration over over administration and uh you know, I, it, it's it's been I think all, for anybody in the military that's on the net or any anybody that's spent any time over there, this is a a, a bit of a, a challenging chapter to sort of see see all of these things play out. Again, not a political comment. I, I support the, the 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 president's decision, but the the trying to achieve and driving towards clarity of an end state and then sticking to it which is hard to do, I think will be what we, we learn out of this. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, because as we talk to different kinds of leaders, and I've talked to different leaders over the over the years, you know, there's kind of this envy that like, envy or, or, or almost despair. It's like, hey, this isn't the military. I can't make you do stuff, right? Like we, we think about, you know, if you're the CEO of a company, you have some control over the organization people, but you know, much less, I think people speculate than if if they were, you know, sort of members of a regiment or, you know, you were a general or something. But I, I think the operative word you used was guidance, right? Commander's guidance or commander's intent. Is it is that a myth? Like, is it, do, do you, even in your organization, is it, in your line of work, is it still much more about, uh, convincing people to do things as opposed to being able to make them do things. Right. Like talk to me I, I about mean, that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I think if you're a leader in today's military that has to say, I'm ordering you to go do this, then we've got much bigger problems. And I had, I, I have never that I can remember said I'm ordering you to go do this and making somebody do something against their will. I think I think world class leaders and I, I have a long way to go till I'm a world class leader um, are people who can use EQ as much as IQ and influence uh, followers to get to an outcome that they want without using um, overt uh, directive force or rank for to make that happen. There is a certain level of, of of respect, if you will, or deference that comes with rank in the military. 
But when I was in the private sector for a few years, I worked with a bunch of young, right out of college graduates who couldn't give a rat's ass what I did in the military. And it was all about my ability to connect, build rapport, um, sort of lay out the why behind we wanted to go do something and then motivate, inspire, incentivize, encourage, love, occasional kick in the ass to go do this. And they were fantastic. And so I think we need to be uh, careful in civilian uh, contexts to think that that the military, of course, there's a rank structure and all that, but I just don't see, and of course, I do acknowledge I'm coming at this conversation as a two-star, but but I, I the same I use the same approach when I was a captain, a young guy. Um, I think I think great leaders influence through uh, adaptive, dynamic, um, uh, repetitive processes that allow them to connect with people, understand where those people are coming from, and then clearly communicate where the organization is going to go and then lead by example to bring that organization, whether it's a civilian business or it's a government entity towards that end state. Yeah, there's an Eisenhower quote that I love that I think I talked about on the last session, but he said, the art of leadership is getting people to do things because they want to do them, uh, which I love. You think about the immense power that he held, probably you know, in all of history, uh, commanded the most men, the, yeah. lar- the you know, the most power and and hopefully nothing like that will ever happen again. Um, and he's still thinking, you know, about persuasion and incentives and alignment, yeah. not force all the time. And I, I mean, that's what I'm in the Pentagon working for the secretary across the interagency with outside organizations or with the various military services. That is what's running through my head. Not I'm talking to uh, so-and-so or such and such, and they're a particular rank. It's what's going on in their head. Where are they coming from? What is their motivation? What are they trying to achieve? What am I trying to achieve? How do I achieve compromise? Or if not, how do I recruit them onto what I'm trying to do through influence? I mean, Marshall, which you and I have traded notes on Marshall, Marshall was much the same way, right? I mean, these fantastic examples of stoic, uh, leaders who understood the sort of human power of influence and persuasion without having to walk around putting their rank in their face. And MacArthur is a completely different case study, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, when uh, I got to imagine that as the military gets more diverse and more reflexive, uh, reflective of the civilian world, all these things take on even more significance because it's, it's not, uh, a bunch of white dudes from the same place, the same backgrounds, the same experiences, the same shared assumptions, bossing each other around. It's having to really connect and understand where different people are coming from with different experiences, different priorities, you know, uh, different ways of thinking and figuring out how you get them all on the same page, as opposed to I am ordering you to do this and you should be afraid of me. So don't, don't ask any questions. Absolutely. And I think that comes down to how in tuned with 
understanding culture and then adapting that culture towards what you need to get it towards um, and then being able to dr drive it home over time. And it, and it involves, you know, this, this really set of dynamic skill sets that has to be adaptable. And if, if you're sort of a, a one trick leader, I don't think you're going to be effective in, in the future. And so that's, what's so wonderful about all of the folks on the, on the zoom and the call here, they're all investing in time to develop their, their leadership skills and, and traits to, to be a broader set of tools. The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Get your Easter shopping done without leaving the house with DoorDash. When the holidays come around and family comes to town, things can get forgotten. But with DoorDash, you can order your Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies, brunch must-haves, and so much more all in one place delivered right to your door. Actually, last Easter, I was in Annapolis. I was giving a talk and we realized we didn't have some of the Easter supplies we needed for the hotel room we were in to give our kids a little on-the-road Easter experience. And that's what we did. We DoorDashed everything we needed for Easter, just like a couple weeks ago when I hurt my ankle, I door dashed an ankle brace and some medicine. You can get anything you need on DoorDash with so many local and national stores to choose from. You can take it easy this Easter knowing you can get everything you need. Whether you're looking for plastic eggs for your Easter egg hunt or needing an ingredient for a side dish, DoorDash can help. Order now and get everything you need for Easter on DoorDash. Use code DAILYSTOIC to get 50% off up to $10. When you spend 15 bucks on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order on DoorDash, that's code daily stoic order using DoorDash today for eligible users only terms apply. That brings up something important, this idea of being a student of leadership, right? Um, that it's not something that you just pick up because you're naturally charismatic or because you're brilliant. Walk me through your journey, sort of studying leaders. Are there, are there some that you really admire? Uh, you, you talked about reading. How has how your education as a leader gone outside of just, you know, uh, trial and error and experience on the job? Well, I, I, I definitely, um, you know, and, and you're so great about getting this quote out there. All, all leaders are readers, but not all readers are leaders. And, and I think Truman got it right. And I think the ability for for me you know i started out as a as a young fighter pilot and then went on to sort of scale through that and then 
um, did a did a White House fellowship in D.C., which which allowed me to gain real insights into civilian leaders and sort of into the special forces community and back into business and sort of bounced in and out of, of, of government over time. The consistent theme through all of that was this real sense of humility that I wanted to be a leader worthy of those amazing humans that I were blessed to, to be in, 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 lead, in the leadership of, whether it be in the private sector, in business, or it be in the military, or it be in the interagency. And so reading was the thing that allowed me to accelerate those insights. And it has been a part of my life since I was in, in college. I mean, I, I'm a... Uh, just I, I can't get enough of it, and and there's not enough time in the day that I that I I can read. I, I read uh, a, a book a week typically. I mean, uh, um, and I, I what I try to do is to be thoughtful and intentional about what it is that I'm reading based on the jobs that I think I'm going to so that I'm prepared ahead of time. Or if I'm encountering a situation, I'll go uh, seek uh, wisdom of others who've been in the same situation. So I've read a lot of Marshall uh, and of all the Forrest Pogue books on, on Marshall. I read David Roll's book on Marshall that we, we traded notes yeah. on. And, and I had him on the podcast. Yep, absolutely. And and what a great, what a great guy, very kind with his time. Um, I've, I've, you know, recently been curious about the relationship between the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. So I'm reading about that interaction. I, I, I of course, took a spin through um, uh, World War II history. I'm, I'm curious about the rise of China and, and the juxtaposition of the fall of great societies. Routinely, I, I read this great book called The Daily Stoic. You probably heard of it. So, um, you know, but I think I think history repeats itself over and over again. And as as leaders, if we're not mindful and deliberate about learning those insights, then we we let down to a certain extent those that were given the gift of leading. And I, I don't want to be that guy. I've, I've always sort of worried that I'm not going to be worthy of, of the gift of, of, of leadership. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty serious about it and I enjoy it. I mean, sure. No. And, and uh, I love general Mattis's book call sign chaos. Cause he yeah. talks about, <laughs> he talks about this a couple of times, you know, he says, he says, one, it's not, you know, sort of, that you can read, it's whether you are reading. And he talks, to, I, I really liked his concept of being functionally illiterate. It's like, if you haven't yeah. read hundreds of books about what you do, you're functionally illiterate, right? Which is, which is almost more embarrassing than being actually Ill illiterate. And I thought yeah. what he was saying about your line of work that I think is particularly important, um, and, and I think just a slightly less high stakes version of it is true for all of us. He was basically saying, you can't learn on the job when you're sending people out uh, into battle because you're gonna be learning your lessons at their expense. He's like, you can't be filling body bags as you figure it out as you go. And I think that's, you know, you're entrusted with people's time, with their careers, with the best years of their life, you know, in the civilian world. The idea that you're going to make a bunch of mistakes and have to lay people off or put people in the wrong role or not know basic things that you could have figured out by reading a book is not just stupid. It's very disrespectful 
and wasteful of what these people have entrusted you with. So I like that you said that. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's a responsibility that we all have as leaders to be as prepared as we can be and to be voracious readers across our entire career and then after that. I think it just goes to being a good human, learning the lessons of history and preparing ourselves as much as possible. Well, and this is a thing I think for leaders, it's like whatever position you're in, whether you just got promoted to sales manager or you're the executive of a Hollywood studio or you you just got, you know, you're you're a rookie in the NFL or you're a, you know, you're a midshipman at the Naval Academy. Somebody has been there before and written a book about it. There is a memoir about basically everything that's ever happened. And so the idea that you would not want to experience like not want to experience the thing multiple times. I think Milan Kundera in The Unbearable Lightness of Being has this great line about how the problem with life is that you only learn by doing stuff and you only get to do everything one time, right? You never, you don't get to run your life over and over again and take the op- optimal path. But I would push back and say reading is the one way that you get extra cracks at something. You know, you want to learn from the person who was a congressman and screwed it up. You want to learn from the person who was a congressman and then became president, right? Like you want to go through the different uh, the different cracks or run-throughs or reps of whatever you're going through and then hopefully build on that as opposed to being, you know, the first whatever you just got promoted to and acting like you discovered, you know, terra incognita, and and that this is all this is all brand new, uh, fresh territory that's never been explored before. Well, that goes to the genuineness of uh, humility and being worthy of of, uh, of 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 the command that you're given or the leadership opportunity that you're given. And uh, I'm, you know, I, I know there's. When you're young and, and and you get into your first management role, you know you you, you probably think I got this, but um, uh, I, I sure I sure maybe early on did, and then I realized I have so much to learn, and I still feel that way today, where where there's just this genuine desire to be as prepared as I can be, and that translates into a lot of reading and and uh, and, and and always learning, you know I. And I think it also, to your point about reps, we don't get a lot of them. And I think there's this there's this decay, and this is why I think this program's so great. There's this, I think there's this de- decay in American leadership across the entire continuum, government, business, industry, you name it. And, and only through accelerating insights are we going to gain the traction and the proficiency needed to, to be who we can be as a country, you know, and, and I know American exceptionalism and, and the meritocracies are, are starting to degrade a little bit. And, you know, when you, when you flick past that outer shell, how much breadth and depth is in there in, in subject matter expertise and leadership. And it's a little, it's a little concerning. No, I was just reading something about China and I'd never thought about it this way. And it was interesting. Um, they were talking about how almost nobody in the Chinese military has any combat experience because China has been isolated for so long and, you know, didn't 
get involved in in a, in a number of global conflicts that that we have outside of basically uh, their brief uh, involvement in U, uh, the Chinese war against Vietnam, and then uh, some UN uh, joint missions. Almost no one in the Chinese military has any actual combat experience. So I, it struck me as one, obviously experience is a great way to learn, although it's very costly. And so you could see that as both a, a blessing and a curse, but it also struck me as like, wow, I better they better be doing a lot of reading, right? Because you are missing, by not having the firsthand experience, you're at an enormous disadvantage, as costly as as some of the mistakes and blunders that America has made over the last 50 uh, to 60 years, they have been educational in a lot of ways. We've failed to uh, all, not always learn the lessons, but um, I, I was thinking about you know uh, how if you don't get a lot of reps, it almost increases the need to have to be an avid student of whatever you're doing because you're, you're having to make up for lost ground. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty sure the Chinese are reading all of our books, so uh, <laughs> and, and probably probably tr trying to get into a lot of our our computer systems as well <laughs> to read to read those books that are not yet published. Well, what does so. your reading routine look like? Like, how how do you? Because you mentioned you read in all the formats. How do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I my days are somewhat set at, at this point in my life. You know, I get up between four and four fifteen, and I, I why. It's, I, I'm an early riser. You're, you're a Jocko. Was, you're on the uh, Jocko track. Uh, I think I normally beat Jocko out of, <laughs> out of the rack. So um, it's it's, uh, it's a good way to start the day beating the seal out of the rack. Um, I think so. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll read hard copy books. Then I, I read some philosophy. I read some faith stuff early on. I do some journaling in the morning. I've been doing this for years and years. Um, I'll write letters to my to my daughters uh, every morning and, and send them something on text or Instagram. And then I'm religious about working out. I, I get to the gym early on in the morning between six and six thirty. Um, I'll listen to books uh, in the gym. Um, uh, I'll listen to podcasts in the gym. Um, I'll then uh, sort of come back and, and get ready for work. I'm, I'm listening to a book on tape going in. I'll, I'll occasionally take a scan through the news, but if the crap hits the fan, we'll hear about it. And I think American mainstream media is is uh, is, is struggling a little bit with uh, with antiseptically presenting facts. So I that's not a political comment, just a yeah. uh, anecdotal comment. Um, and then I'm, I'm, you know, I keep my Kindle generally up to speed with the hard copy books because I travel a fair amount and I'll haul that with me and, and move forward. Um, at the end of the day, I'll come back, I'll do some decompression and, and some thoughtful thinking about the day. How did it go? What did I do right? What did I do wrong? How can I be better? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a guy who's got you know, always carrying around three by five note cards or four by six note cards. So I'm, I'm taking notes there and, uh, and then putting them into, into Evernote, which I've been using since like 2007. Uh, and, uh, and then I go to bed. I'm super exciting. I'm going to bed around eight, eight thirty at night. And, wow. Uh, and the next day and the next day off to the, off to the races again. But I'll tell you, the morning ritual has been so good for me. 
it is so important to start that day with thoughtful, deliberate stillness before the craziness of the day starts. I think you got it right in your book about stillness really being the key. And uh, I just really strongly advocate for that with all the people that I mentor and help grow as leaders. Uh, I think it just makes us so much better as humans. And, we, and we're fallible. If we don't take care of ourselves and our families, we can't possibly be the leaders that the folks we lead deserve. So I, I'm, I've got to imagine seeing your fair share of raw recruits or, or sort of people from civilian life coming into the military over the years. How do you talk to someone who's sort of not a morning person and make them a morning person, right? Like, what is that? Because uh, I, I see this question a lot and someone asked it, but like for people who are like, oh, I could never get up at 4 a.m. Maybe they can't, maybe 4 a.m. too early, but how do you focus on sort of a leader's morning routine and, and focusing on the morning? I mean, it, it's it, more and more people are tacking that way in the worlds yeah. that I travel in. So I think it's gaining traction. But it's just about asking thoughtful questions that allow them to get to that logical conclusion on their own. Like, what do you think is going to make you the most effective leader for the people that you lead? And they start going down there and I, I go, well, you know, how do you ensure that when you hit work first thing in the morning, you are absolutely ready. And inevitably asking those really thoughtful questions generally leads to that self-realization that I got to change my rhythm, my daily rhythm uh, to, to be as effective as possible. And, you know, I, I mean, this is just the, 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 the model that I use. I mean, I think I don't I'm, I'm, I'm careful to make sure that people have a system and try not to force my system on them as long as they're executing to their maximum potential, which is what I'm always striving for in the cultures that I try to build. Um, I think any system is better than not. For young folks, it's, it's a lot of times they just need a little bit of guidance. Yeah, no, I think it's like, when do you do your best work and how do you design your day around that? And yeah. I think, what are the chances that you do your best work at four in the afternoon after, you know, you put up with a bunch of crap and phone Zero. calls and errands and stuff yeah. in the, the beginning yeah. of the day? I, I mean, I, I, I'm so serious about it that I block when I get to work at the Pentagon, I block the first hour. Just don't put any meetings in there. It's just thinking space and time <coughs> to either read emails or, or read something. And then I, I literally do the same thing at the end of the day. And, and uh, because I know I'm very self-aware that I will not be my best at the end of the day. If I've been scheduled back to back, which happens a fair amount, I'm smoked at the end of the day. I'm not going to make great decisions. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be as thoughtful as I probably need to be on these very complex matters that they come into things. And uh, uh, so I, I just I just make a decision proactively back to the proactive versus reactive. I make a decision such that I can control my counter and I can't always, but that I'm going to block that time. One of the questions I see here is actually from a deployed uh, battalion commander, and he's talking about how how do you deal with sort of gossip or rumors or I guess just, you know, the, the stuff that that people talk about at work or 
disagreements or resentments, you know, the, the sort of negative stuff that a leader has to both be above, but also deal with because it can be cultural cancer. Yeah, totally. And that's a great question. So uh, uh, thank you for whomever's deployed. Thank you for your service and for the service of your family for being overseas and, and uh, taking care of our nation's business or our allies and partners business over there. You know, I, I, certainly in, in a military context, as a, as a battalion commander, you know, we are blessed to have a, a wing person, a command sergeant major who who is a, a senior enlisted leader, who's our wingman as a as a commander, and whose whose job is to understand the sort of subtleties, tenor, tone, and direction of where the entire battalion is going. And when the when the CSM, the command sergeant major, comes and says, "Hey, we've we've got these rumors and things like that." Um, my approach has always been to not get buried down into the eaches and others, but to have a sense of when there's a lack of understanding of what's happening or where we're going. And I think as we have younger and younger soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, guardians, I can't forget them now, and Coast Guards folks. Wait, is that in. the Space Force? That's that the Space called? Force. Yeah, okay. Space Force Guardians. So, you know, now I've hooked you up. Um, you know, I think I think you have to get a sense of when it's time to get it all hands together. And I did this in the private sector, too, when when we did some layoffs or we had things like that, which are very difficult. It's always better to sort of get at that and, and get clarity out there and be ready to answer those questions that come back to you. But to alleviate that distance between where you're trying to go as a leader and, and where the organization thinks they're going. And so uh, I think clear communication is important. There will always be, especially in the military, there will always be a little bit of rumor going on. You're never going to you're never going to fight that. I think what you have to do is rely on your subordinate leaders, those leaders underneath you to help you understand when it's time, you got to get everybody together. And I think you want to lean on to your company commanders and platoon lieutenants and PLs out there to get that culture right. When I start hearing a lot of rumors, I start hearing jitteriness in the system, that tells me that maybe we're not talking about culture enough and we need to turn the volume up on that even more so that there's clarity all the way down the, the organization on what it is that we're doing. Yeah, there's a great rule I, I heard as a writer, but I think it applies to business too, or any kind of complaint, which is like when someone tells you that something's wrong, like with your writing, it's they're always right, right? And then when someone tells you how to fix it, they're always wrong, right? So the idea being, if someone's upset, they're not wrong. They are upset. They might not be informed correctly. And so th their solution is we shouldn't be doing this. Actually, the solution is I have to explain to you why we're doing this, right? So, exactly. So when my editor comes to me and says, paragraph three isn't working, well, actually, maybe paragraph three stays exactly the same, but I have to edit paragraph two to explain right. why paragraph three exists. Right? Absolutely. So, so I think thinking about it with a little bit of empathy and, and going, look, I'm not going to invalidate your feelings. Your feelings, your gripe is your gripe, but I can do a better job explaining to you why that's incorrect or not incorrect, but why that why that needs to be seen in a larger context. 
And I think we have to be authentically open to that feedback, right? Because if we're so egotistical and our ego is, is, you know, creating barriers to that receptivity, man, we're going to jack that up and we're going to, we're going to be all all hands up and we're going to miss that opportunity to realize that perceptions are reality. And especially in complex organizations or complex situations, or even one-on-one human-to-human interaction, perceptions are reality. We just got to be sort of checking our ego at the door. And, and it's about, it's about what's right not who's right. And if we just keep staying on that over and over and over again, um, I think you find that you start to sort of figure it out with big asterisks next to it that you always need to be going to school. Well, the let's talk about the opposite of gripes and complaints and gossip. Let's talk about praise. Because I think, you know, there's this perception that the stoic is like sort of emotionless, uh, that the stoic uh, is so strict with themselves, they demand everyone else be strict. Um, but to me, that's a recipe for being a bad leader. So how have you thought about praise, both receiving praise, but I think more importantly, giving praise as a leader to keep people motivated and uh, committed to the mission? Well, I, I think we're all humans and and praise and feedback uh, balanced with each other are, are really important components of good leadership. Um, I've always thought of uh, the appropriate way is to to praise in public and critique in, in private. Sure. And, and I'm 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 quick to uh, let people know how how um, great of a job that they're doing. And, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I, but I also try to be a little bit thoughtful about, um, the, the, how, how much volume there is on that. Right. And, and I, I, not because, I mean, if they're doing a great job, I let them know that, um, for sure. But my, my point is that, that, um, uh, I want to create, at least in the military context, I want to create leaders that, that, uh, sort of have this, this um, uh, stability to them. I, one of the things that I talk about is stay frosty. You know, when I'm talking to leaders who who are who are g- going to combat or who are going to be in combat, I talk about I talk about let's keep our cool, let's let's stay frosty, uh, right? Sure. In, in that context, and so I, you know, when I I want that um, I want that praise to be uh, deliberate. I want it to be intentional. I want it to be thoughtful. I, I, I want it to be also, you know, somewhat measured so that so that ego doesn't become an enemy down the road, because in the end, it's about the deed, not about the glory. And a true selfless leader is one who doesn't care about a true servant leader is one who doesn't care about the glory, but cares more about the team and more about the deed. And so I, I hope that makes sense. I'm, I'm quick to praise, but it, you know, I'm more inclined to say, Hey, Hey man, great job. Or, or Hey ma'am, great job with that. Um, I'm also equally quick to, to debrief myself and to bring them into that debrief as well, man, I, I screwed that up. I could have done that better. Here's hey, here's something for you to think about too. And I think how we set that tone, um, in feedback regarding your question on, 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 on praise coming to me, I think grace 
is an important component of leadership. And, I, and I'm always grateful and gracious about it, but I, 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 I never let it I never let it go to my I, my head. Um, I don't mean to sort of back to your initial point about Stoics being unemotional. I'm grateful and I'm humbled by it, but but it's not about me. It's I really believe as a servant leader that any successes that I've had in my career or in my life are direct reflections of those leaders or subordinate leaders that have invested in me. And therefore, I think I owe it to them to be thoughtful in how I receive that and to reflect that back towards those subordinate leaders or, or other leaders or mentors that I've had. Well, I think I think about that because like, let's say you're someone who is selfless and a servant leader and you're like, well, praise isn't important to me. It doesn't do anything for me. Maybe it even makes me a little uncomfortable. It can be easy to make this assumption that other people are all wired the same way. Right. And you oh, realize, yeah, yeah. oh, no, like yeah. they need to be recognized. Right. Yeah. They need yeah. this. And and I think understanding that you, it's called self-discipline, not uh, not the other way around. Like there's a, the standard you hold yourself to the Stoics say is not fair or reasonable or a good idea to just assume other people are on the same wavelength, the same priorities. That's where I got to be really in tune with EQ and, and I got to really read humans well. And, uh, uh, and the limbic brain is such a gift in terms of, uh, uh understanding human dynamics and, and body language and stuff like that. And each individual, each of us is so unique that you have to take the time as a leader to get to know how folks, how folks work. And yeah, and what motivates this person versus that person, somebody, Absolutely. somebody's, uh, about responsibility and recognition. Somebody's about money. Somebody's about uh, solving good problems. And, you know, some people just shouldn't be on the team and you got to figure that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me see if there's any last question, but this has been absolutely amazing. Um, oh, I guess the last question is, so So talking about routine, because uh, I think it's really powerful, big part of the stoic uh, mindset. And, and certainly though, something I was thinking about the last two weeks while I was on the road, how do you think about routine and good habits when you're deployed, when your schedule is not under your control the way that you might it might be when you're at home or you're at the office? I mean, it's uh, it's a great question. And and uh, and thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. I can see the chat there and on the margins. I, I think it's about being committed to finding a way and a rhythm that works for you. And it won't look perfect. And it may take some time to stabilize, but you know when you're when you're overseas or on a deployment or on a work trip or whatever, I I think you need to thoughtfully sit down. I do this even before I go on the trip. Where is there a gym? What do I think these days are going to be like? And I try to get ahead of this so that when I land in whatever place I'm going to be at. I'm set up for success right off the bat. And I and I look forward to it. And I do the same thing with with my team. And so um, you know, there's there's and if your schedule's moving around, I think you just you just got to stay flexible and agile and and up on the balls of your feet. But what I will tell you is is when you master that, especially in a dynamic environment where the schedule's changing, 
but you find a way to get your reading in or get your workouts in, or, or even if they're not as effective or the same as they are when you're at home, the fact that you've done them will bring you strength and power that, and, and, and comfort that you, you almost can't measure. I mean, you, because you, you'll feel like you've accomplished something for the day. You feel like you've stayed close to what you know is your center post of, of how you set up your life. And I think, you know, being agile and flexible is is an important component to this, especially when you're on the road. Now, I mean, it doesn't always work, but you know, I can always find a place to work out. I can do the stairs in a in a hotel. I can do it in my hotel room. I TRX, whatever. I can always find a way to make it work. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've come to think about, especially having kids or young kids, sort of throw it out. It's, <laughs> it's you know, if 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 routine to you is the order that you do things and the place that you do things, you're very vulnerable, right? Because everything has to go right. If you think about it instead, like these are the daily rituals that I practice, then yeah. you can shuffle the order <laughs> around. Do you know what I mean? It's like, hey, I wake up early. Okay, that's more or less a new, but, but like I, uh, I work out, I take a walk, I do some reading. Yeah. You can shuffle those around based on the particulars of where you happen to be. Like when I travel, I run in the morning. When I'm at home, I tend to run in the afternoon because I have more freedom at home than I do on the road, right? Yeah. And and I and you know I'm not worried about hotel checkout times and you know where am I going to get a shower after. So I think if you if you can figure out to me, obviously if your day is chaos, at you got to figure out a routine. That's step one. But once you've figured out a routine, the next level of this is that flexibility or Robert Greene talks about formlessness, the flexibility to be able to make it work in any and all environments is really important. Yeah, I'm laughing because no plan survives first contact with the enemy, Murphy, or a four and a two-year-old or yeah. five and three, right? So uh, no way, no how, but but good on you guys, you you and your your wife for, for trying to keep some, some structure going. Well, General, this was absolutely amazing, and uh, I can't wait to see you back in Texas soon. And uh, thank you for your service uh, and and for taking the time here to, to teach us about leadership. I know it made a big difference for everyone, certainly me as well. And uh, I appreciate it. I'm so glad we met. Yeah, same here. And I'm 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 passionately invested in this. And if anybody has any follow-on questions, you can find me through the Daily Stoic or on social, and I'm happy to answer them. I want to thank everybody and you and you and your team, Ryan, for the opportunity to spend some time with you. You're the best. All right, man. Talk soon. All you, right. Cheers, everybody. All right. Take care. Bye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. From Wondery, this is Black History For Real. I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Conscious Lee. What do most people think about when they hear the words Black history? Rosa Parks, Reconstruction, MLK, February, Black History Exactly, Mom. exactly. There are so many stories of Black history that we just are not really talking about or thinking about, especially outside of February. And we are about to flip the script on all of that. Because on this show, you're going to hear a little less 
In August 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And a little bit more. She is a heroine to some. As a fighter for black rights, she is a villain to others. Follow Black History for Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen everywhere on February 5th, or you can listen early and ad-free on Wondery Plus starting January 29th. Join Wondery Plus on the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Black